And now for the shortest sermon in your life. <laughs> That's not true. Um, <laughs> uh, here I'm preaching on integrity and stuff. I, I, uh, where I went to graduate school at Yale, they taught you that anything over 15 minutes is a loss. So some of you come from backgrounds where I, I don't want to even compete with the shortness of those sermons. But let me put it like this. Comparatively speaking, this will be the shortest sermon in your life if you've been around here for very long. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter um, 10. I, I, this is uh, what I'm going to call something like a freeze-dried sermon. Uh, you know, you ever had this freeze-dried food uh, where it's, uh, you know, it's just really condensed? You, when you go backpacking, you just really condense it. You know, it, it, it makes it terribly constipated, but, but hopefully a sermon won't do this. But it's that freeze-dried stuff you carry with you. And this is going to be a very condensed, distilled message. Um, there's a lot I want to cover, and I want to cover it in a, in a short amount of time, and it's uh, extremely important stuff in terms of understanding the covenant. We're doing a study on Hebrews 8 through 10, um, and we've been looking at the sanctuary and the covenant, which are the two themes that run throughout. And so we're continuing now our study on covenant. What is covenant? And um, understanding the New Testament form of salvation as an entering into covenant. Hebrews chapter 10. The author is very intent to show how different and superior the new covenant is. That's what New Testament means, new covenant is, as a, uh, in contrast to the old covenant, which is the law of the Old Testament. And he says this, starting in verse um, 15, reading from the Amplified Bible. And also the Holy Spirit adds his testimony to us. For having said, this is the agreement or the testament or the covenant that I will set up and conclude with them after those days. This is going to be the definitive covenant. That There's about seven different covenants in the Bible. This is the definitive one. He's going to conclude with this. He says, I will imprint my laws upon their hearts, and I will inscribe them on their minds, on their innermost thoughts and understanding. And he goes on to say, and their sins and their law-breaking I will remember no more. Let me read one other passage. You don't have to turn there, but it comes out of Ephesians chapter 1. This also pertains to the new thing, one of the new things that the Lord is doing with the new covenant. He, uh, Ephesians chapter 1. He says, In Christ you also have heard, verse 13, In Christ you also have heard the word of truth, the glad tidings of your salvation, and have believed in and adhered to and relied on him. After that you were stamped with the seal of the long-promised Holy Spirit. You were stamped with the seal of the long-promised Holy Spirit. That Spirit, Paul says, is the guarantee of our inheritance, the first fruits, the pledge and foretaste, the down payment on our heritage. Say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's good stuff there. Down payment in anticipation of its full redemption and our acquiring complete possession of it to the praise of His glory. Pray with me here. Father, um, give me succinctness of expression, God. At the same time, I pray that you would not distill at all uh, the power that you want this message to have. Lord, this is your kingdom. This is your hour. This is uh, your people. This is your church. This is your word, and this is your message. And Lord, we therefore surrender responsibility for it uh, over and above just being used by you to do what you will. Father, do what you will. Teach your people. Instruct us. Motivate us and change us. And we will give you the praise and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Jesus taught us in Matthew 12 and in several other places that the whole law is fulfilled, all the law, all the Old Testament, everything is fulfilled in one short commandment that has two sides to it. It's one commandment, but it has two sides. And it is this. You shall love the Lord thy God. Sorry. You shall love the Lord thy God with all of your heart and all of your body and all of your mind and all of your soul. Basically, everything within you, love the Lord thy God. And the second is like it, or it's actually a part of it, and that is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is God's heart for creation. This is, this is the thing that God has always been striving for. Through all the turns and the nooks and the crannies and the up and downs of, of God's interaction with, with, with human beings, the driving force behind it all was God's desire to have a people who love him with all their mind, all their heart, all their body, and all their soul, and then who love their neighbor as themselves. God's heart is this. This is why the creation exists in the first place. God is infinite, unsurpassable love, and he wants to display that throughout the creation. So he creates a people, and here's his hope, to have a bride who receives his love. The love that he is, he wants to give by grace. Without delusion or, or distortion or anything, he wants to give who he is to her. He wants to replicate his triune eternal love towards this bride. And then he wants that bride to be transformed by this love. And then he wants that bride to reflect back this love. And then he wants that bride to love herself with that love. And then he wants that bride to overflow towards others with that love. That's God's plan for the, for the world. I, I like to call it the trinification of the cosmos. Trinification, because it's really the, the trinity being replicated throughout the whole creation. As God is in and himself, he is towards us. As he is towards us, we are towards him. As we are towards him, we are towards ourselves. As we are towards ourselves, we are towards each other. God is love, and he wants the love repeated all over the place. That's his plan. And everything in the Bible, from beginning to end, is about that. All the talk on covenant is a way of enabling and sustaining and enforcing that to happen. Covenant is, is there because love requires responsibility. Now, that's been God's heart from the very beginning. The Old Testament looks very different than the New Testament, not because there's a different God. Some people think that there's a meanie God or a nitpicky God or a judgmental God as opposed to the nice God of the New Testament. It's not like that at all. It's just that the situation in the Old Testament was very different than the situation in the New Testament. God was trying to raise up a people and teach some very rudimentary things about right relatedness. God was trying to raise up a people that would be the mustard seed of the kingdom to reach out and evangelize the whole world, loving God and loving neighbor. That's what the whole thing with Israel was all about. And for that to happen, he had to put some things really in place. Um, a lot of, when you read the Old Testament, a lot of the weirdness, and let's just acknowledge out loud that a lot of it is weird. You can't read the book of Leviticus and not say to yourself, this is weird. I don't think that's being disrespectful. That's just being honest. A lot of it is weird. Uh, rules about how you can cook, when you can cook, how you serve what you cook, and yada, 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 and what you wear, and some of those emission laws. This is weird. I, it, it's just strange stuff. But see... That was not because God was just really interested in, in, in emission laws. Um, he, was, he was trying to separate the people. He wanted a distinct people. He wanted a peculiar people. He wanted to call Israel out of a, of all, from all the peoples of the world. And it was very barbaric. He needed to separate them and, and uh, teach them about right relatedness, walking in relationship with him, being different, very different from the cultures around them. That's what God was about. But don't mistake the package for the heart. The package is very different than the New Testament for a number of different reasons, but the heart is the same. It's what drives the plan of salvation from beginning to end. Now, Paul tells us, and see, we're, I'm talking here 
about the, the relationship between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And this is crucial. We're going to be talking about this for, for several weeks. Um, because the author of Hebrews is, is intent on this one point, to show how the New Covenant is superior to the Old Covenant. So we need to understand the, the, the difference that's going on here. Why do we even have a New Covenant? Well, Paul tells us that the law is holy, just, and good. In a number of places, Romans 7, for example, he says the law. It's not a meany thing. It's not a nitpicky thing. The law, and he's referring there to the law of Moses. It is holy. It is just. It is good. Nothing wrong with the Old Testament. It's inspired by God. But it's not, it is not in and of itself adequate to accomplish all that God wants to accomplish in creation. For three reasons, basically. Number one. This identification and level of intimacy that God wants with his people, that God wants with his bride. We talked about it last week. The heart of God, the intimacy, the into me, see, uh, of God is, is, a, is a heart that wants a relationship with his people that even the best marriage relationship can only approximate. He wants intensity and intimacy with a vengeance, if you will. Uh, total sold-out abandonment. All your mind towards me, all your heart towards me, all your body towards me, all your soul, your will, your personality towards me, and I towards you. That could not happen in the old, uh, with the old covenant. Um, the, it, it wasn't. It was pointing towards that. Paul tells us it was a teacher. It was a necessary foundational thing, but it in and of itself did not ordinarily lead people to the level of intimacy that God wanted to have with His people. There needs to be a, 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 a more intense identification. Remember, one part of covenant we've been talking about the last four, five, six weeks is uh, the exchanging of identities. To say, in terms of the covenant, your life will intersect with my life and my life will intersect with your life. Well, what we're seeing is the covenant that God wants is one of complete identification. He doesn't become us and we don't become him. But, it, but without losing our own identity, he wants it, us to be as close as is possible for two beings to be. Um, and so the, the new covenant enables that to happen where the old one didn't. A second thing, and this is, this is why the first thing couldn't happen, and it's this. The Old Testament, it's, it's righteous, it's holy, it's just, it's inspired by God. The law is holy and just and inspired by God, but it could not change the inside of people. Paul says this in Romans 7 too. The law is good, but it doesn't, knowing the law, in my sinful state, in my fallen condition, does not in and of itself inspire me and empower me to do the good. How many people here have ever known that something was good and didn't do it? The rest of you are lying, and so you, you, you just did it. You, that's what sin is. See, just right now, you, the Bible says if anyone uh, says they don't have sin, they're a liar. Um, and, and, and so... Uh, we all are, are, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's what it is. We know that there are good things to do and we don't do it. We know there are bad things not to do, but that's what we end up doing. That's Romans 7. That is, that is our past. And the law, which tells us what to do, does not in and of itself empower us to do it. What it does, Paul says, is it, 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 it brings, makes, makes us conscious of our sin. So there, there was no internal change. And you, what you find in the, throughout the Old Testament is a time a looking forward to a time as we read in Hebrews, where God is going to, as it were, hit upon a new plan that will take care of that issue. The third thing, the third thing has to do with forgiveness. The law, in and of itself, has no provision for forgiveness. And we're going to talk about this much more next week. What do you do? You know, the, 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 the rule, the moral law of the covenant was that if you break covenant, let it be unto me as it is to this animal. 
In other words, the, the wages of sin is death. And yet we are covenant breakers. And yet God does not want to put us to death. He's not willing that any should perish. What has God to do? The, the, the sacrifice of the blood and bulls and goats in the Old Testament did not free them from their sin. It was pointing forward to something else. And they, they, were, they were typological lessons to show in covenantal terms what happens when you break covenant. Bam! This is what covenant is. We've been talking about it. The, you cut a covenant. The animal's, torn as, the animal's torn asunder. Well, that's what they would do with the sacrifices of the All that sacrificial stuff, the weird stuff in Leviticus, is there as a reminder and a teaching about covenant and the wages of sin, the way, which is covenant breaking. But the Old Testament itself did not uh, uh, make a provision for the real restoration of covenant breakers with a God who's very intent on, on having a perfect covenant with us. Okay, that's what brings us to the new, the new covenant. What we're going to see here in the next couple of weeks is that the new covenant answers all those problems. It completes what is there in the old. Now, the, the outline of covenant, we've, we've gone over this a number of times, but very, very quickly as a way of review. A covenant consists of this. You make a vow, a vow that is based on trust and trustworthiness. You make a pledge. You then uh, cu cut an animal in two. You cut a covenant is the word for make a covenant in the Hebrew. And you walk between it or in a figure eight circle around it saying, I'm laying my life on the line. If I break covenant, let it be to me as it is to these animals. Then you exchange uh, garments or, or uh, ar armor or whatever as a way of saying our, our identities now intersect. There's a new us that's created by this covenant. Then you have a celebration meal, and then you have a memorial, okay? And, and as, a, as a reminder of the whole thing. And the whole thing is carried out in front of witnesses before God and before other, other witnesses. We're going to see that every one of those elements has a role to play in the New Testament. And you only adequately understand what salvation is all about in the New Testament if you understand each of these elements. The first element I'm going to talk about here this morning, and that is this idea of making a vow. Making a vow, taking the oath. Where does that occur in the New Testament? And the answer is, it occurs all over the place. Have you ever read in the New Testament when Paul or some author will insist that you need to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Why this need to confess? Paul says in Romans 10, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, or if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. What's this confession thing about? The answer is that the New Testament always sees salvation and a relationship with God in covenantal terms. And a covenant always starts with a confession. The Bible doesn't have any conception of a private faith, a secret faith, if you will. That's like our culture has it, but the New Testament doesn't have it. The very nature of covenant is you start with a profession, a declaration before God and before witnesses. Here's my vow. Here's my word. Just like the Bible has no conception of a private marriage, a secret marriage. A marriage, by definition, it's a covenant. It has to consist of a vow, a public decoration, something, you, you, you are saying something. That's, that's how you enter into it. So the Bible is very intent on making a confession of faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and confess with your, with your mouth. It's the beginning of our covenantal relationship with the Lord. That vow, like all covenantal vows, consists of two things, your trust and trustworthiness. This is the nature of it. This is the pledge. You are saying, I will trust my covenant partner to be faithful to this covenant, and I will pledge myself to walk faithful with, with uh, uh, my covenant partner in this covenant. The Bible, when it talks about believing on Jesus Christ, when it talks about believing in the Lord or having faith in the Lord, the word, the word means, not just intellectual belief. We get that idea. 
But, but, but that's not what the Bible means. That kind of faith, if you want to even call it faith, is dead, James says. It does nothing. It's zippo. When the Bible talks about having faith in the Lord, it means trusting his character. Putting your trust in the Lord. And it's a covenantal term. The foundation, Lord help me, in, to communicate this succinctly. This is freeze-dried, folks. Unpack it when you get home. Um, or maybe I'll unpack it a little bit next week. But here's, here's, this is the foundation of the whole thing. Entering into a covenant with the Lord requires first and foremost that you make a pledge that you trust Him. You confess Him as Lord. And you're saying, I will wager my whole life on, on your credibility, on your character. The foundation for the new covenant is uh, trusting that what God says about Himself and how God reveals Himself is true. This is so foundational because what the new covenant is about is reversing the fall. And what the fall is all about is not trusting God. The origin of all sin is found in mistrust of God. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. There Eve is in the garden, the serpent comes, and the thing that the serpent says is this. Did God say to you that you, that, that you shouldn't eat of any tree of the garden? Well, you've got to know this about God. There's a reason why he told you that you shouldn't eat of that tree of the garden. The reason why you shouldn't eat of that tree of the garden is because God knows that if you eat of that tree, you're going to be just like him. And he don't like no competitors. You know, he's threatened by you. Oh, man, no wonder he forbid it. And he's not the creator of the whole world. He didn't create that tree. In fact, that tree was there long before God ever got here. I, you know, I'm paraphrasing the serpent here. That, that, that tree, and that's how God got to be God. See, he ate of that tree, and he knows that if you eat of it, you're going to be just like him. So Eve. Here it is. There's a deception about God. You can't trust God. He doesn't have your best interest in mind. And when there's a lie about God, there's a lie about who Eve is, because now Eve says, I've got to survive on my own. The degree to which you don't trust God is the degree to which your life will be characterized by trying to strive to get life on your own. Conversely, find an area in your life where you're trying to get life on your own, and I'll, I sure shoot, if you look closely, you'll find that there's an area where you're not trusting God to be your all in all. The root of all evil is a mistrust towards God, a disbelief towards the, uh, uh, the, the character of God. And from that disbelief comes rebellious behavior. Given what Eve now believed about God and what Eve believed about herself, she had to reach out. She didn't have to, but she did. She reached out, grabbed the tree, and we've been grabbing off the tree ever since. It's rooted in a mistrust of God's character. It is the root of all evil, the root of all rebellion, the root of all sin. So the Lord now comes, and the new covenant is about this. The Lord wants to, in, in an unequivocal, in, in an absolutely clear way, reveal who he is, and then call us to trust him on it. This is the first new thing that the new covenant brings. It's a new revelation, or a fuller revelation of who God is. And the way the Lord does it is by becoming one of us. It's one of the reasons, one of several reasons, why God became a man, and his name is Jesus Christ. In the person of Jesus Christ, we have the power of God, the presence of God, and the character of God revealed in unmistakable terms. God wants to take all the guesswork out of our knowing who he is. And so he becomes one of us, and in a way that we can understand, he exemplifies for us who he is, what his heart is. This is why the Bible is so intent this is why denying the deity of Christ is like, I think, the most fundamental heretical error a person can do. Because now you're putting a distance between who God is and who Jesus is. The Bible tells us that he is God. God on earth. God overall, blessed forever, Romans 9.5. Our great God and Savior, Titus 2.13. Lord and God overall, Thomas says in, in, in John chapter 20. 
The Bible tells us that he is the word of God, John 1, 1. He's the image of God, Colossians 1. He's the form of God, Philippians chapter 2. He's the expression of God, Hebrews 1. And why is it saying all that? It's saying that to say this. If you want to know what God is like, if you want to know his character, don't try to in infer that on the basis of the characteristics of the world. And don't try to guess at that on the basis of your own philosophical reason. And for goodness sake, don't try to come up with some idea of what that's like on the basis of what your mom or dad was. Look to the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? Fix your eyes upon Jesus, Hebrews 12 says. Fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. From beginning to end, it's saying. From beginning to end, be looking at Jesus. Constantly looking at Jesus. Constantly looking at Jesus. And then the question is this. Do you trust what you see? Do you trust what you see? Do you, are you willing to put your life on the line and say, that is what God thinks about me? That is God's attitude towards me. Do you trust God? Do you trust God when the Lord says, he loves you with an everlasting love? Do you trust that? Is that resolved? This is the covenant of confessing him as Lord. Lord, you define me. That's what it means to be Lord. Lord, I give unto you all the right and all the authority to tell me what is true, which means if it means anything, that you take away from every other source the authority to tell you what is true. Do you believe, perhaps against all your experience, that when the Lord says you're loved with an everlasting love, it is true? Do you believe that when he calls you his bride, when he calls you spotless, when he calls you holy, when he says all the, that there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, can you say in your heart, yes, I believe that? Against, maybe despite all the things that happen, against the things that are in my mind, the tapes that go on in my mind, the upbringing that I received, the covenant that we enter into is saying, Lord, I trust you more than all of that. It means that when the cancer hits and the family blows apart and maybe perhaps the marriage blows apart and, and uh, things you just have a really bad day and you lose the house and, and your car breaks down, that you don't start reinterpreting who God is because of those circumstances. The serpent would always have us do that. That's what he was doing with Eve. Look around, Eve. Let's think a little bit here. What's really going on? Maybe God really has it in for you. Maybe God really doesn't like you. Maybe it applies to everybody else except for you. Maybe God, you know, was just kidding with all that Jesus stuff. Maybe, you know, maybe you just uh, have sinned your way out of the kingdom. Da, 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 da. The covenant, the vow, the oath that Jesus Christ is Lord means this, I trust you. It, it, whatever comes my way, I trust you. Whatever damage is there in my past, I trust you. You are bigger than my own self-condemnation. You're bigger than the problems in my life. And I put my whole trust, I stake my life, my eternity, on the, on the faith that you are faithful. You are faithful. And we'll come through with what you said you'd come through with. The second part of the vow has to do with our faithfulness. See, to confess Jesus Christ as Lord means nothing, zero, zippo, nadie, uh, unless it also is at the same time a confession of your servanthood. What does the word Lord mean? Unless it means Lord over someone. And if you're confessing Jesus Christ as your Lord, it means you're confessing that you are now his disciple. Our culture tries to divorce this. The enemy tries to come up with this silly lie where you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, but Lord over nothing in particular. Which is just the way, you know, yes, you, you are my Lord. It's an intellectual belief, but in, as a matter of fact, there's nothing about my life that would demonstrate that. To walk the beginning of our marriage covenant with Jesus Christ is a pledge that we trust him as our groom, and we will walk faithful as a bride. With all that is within us, we will love him with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our body, all of our soul. That's what the confession, the profession, the oath means. 
that, Lord, I will lay my life on the line to walk with you. Here's the problem. We don't do that, do we? We don't do that perfectly. Do I love the Lord with all my heart, all my body, all my mind, all my soul? I'll confess to you, I don't think I do. I have good days, but I don't do it every day, every moment of every day. Uh, and sometimes I don't even think I'm even close. Hamarotia is the word for sin. It means to fall short. It's like an arrow. You shoot and you miss the mark. And there are days where pfft, that thing doesn't even make it to the target, if I'm honest with you. But I don't think I want to be honest with you, so I'm going to tell you, I am the example of perfect relationship with God. <laughs> Here's the second new thing that God does. He, the first new step is he gives us an unequivocal, clear, unambiguous revelation of who he is. Trust it. Trust it. Whatever he says about you is true. I don't care how much your self-talk disagrees with that. Too bad for your self-talk. And you'll never get free to end that stupid self-talk and trust God over your own internal voice. And trust God over your feelings. You trust God over mom and dad. You trust God over everything. That's where freedom comes. And that is what covenant's all about. Because now you're reversing the fall. The second new thing that God does in the new covenant is this. And it blows my mind. We are covenant breakers. If we weren't, then we wouldn't need a new covenant. We, would have, we could have done it with the Old Testament. But we are covenant breakers. God is a covenant keeper. So God hits upon this incredible plan. I will take my spirit and put it in them. And I will give them a new heart. This is what the verse is about that we read this morning. I'll give them a new heart. I'll write my law upon their heart, which doesn't mean that we'll just know it on the inside. Rather, the heart is the center of our, of our will and the center of our emotions. And what the Lord is saying is, I'm going to take my heart, my will, and fuse it with theirs. I'm going to give them a, a, a new nature. It's prophesied throughout the Old Testament. Read Ezekiel 36 and Ezekiel 37, the vision of the dry bones coming to life by the Spirit of God. God says this, I'm going to take my spirit, which is to say, I am myself. The Holy Spirit is God. I'm going to come and take up residency within them. And they can't keep covenant, but I can, and I'm going to keep covenant through them. He puts his spirit inside of us. Three things you've got to know about this. And, and, and it comes out of the, te the text that, that, we, that we read this morning. First of all, the Bible says that when God does this, you are marked. You are marked, you are sealed. Ephesians chapter 1. When God gives you his Holy Spirit, and by the way, even your profession, even your confession of faith, your, your oath about entering into a covenant relationship with the Lord, even that is the result of the Holy Spirit's working in your life. Uh, you didn't do that on your own. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, uh, Ephesians 2, 8. God himself had to rejuvenate you enough to, to allow you to do that. But even beyond that, once you stop resisting the Holy Spirit and cave into his love and ask Jesus Christ into your life, the Bible says you are marked, you are stamped, you are sealed. A seal in the ancient world was like this wax thing that the Roman government would put on documents. Boom! Sealing them shut. And uh, it could not be broken. There was a death penalty if anyone tampered with that. What you've got to know is this. God, when, when, when there's a crack in the door of your heart, God says, I'm moving in. And when he moves in, he gets out his seal and he starts stamping things. Property of Jesus Christ. Property of Jesus Christ. This belongs to me. You know, praise God. It's kind of like maybe some friends that you've known or some in-laws that you've known. You know, uh, uh, Lord, forgive me for this analogy, but it's like this. You, you, you give God a crack in the door, and he moves in, and he, and he takes the whole thing with him. I mean, it's like, you know, hi, can I stay for a few minutes? And in come the suitcases. Oh! And then they start saying, oh, I like my table, and I like my lamp, and I like my, this, oh, this room is mine, and, and I like this, I like this. Oh, and I, oh, I really do like these. I'm so glad that they belong to me. And you're going, wow, what is this? What is this? It's my house. 
But see, wrong. When you invite the Lord in, he is the ultimate in-law. He comes in and he moves in and he starts claiming everything, praise God. He puts a stamp on it, amen. He owns it. And you got to know this morning, covenant partners with Jesus Christ, that you are owned and operated by the Lord Jesus Christ. He moves in and now you belong to him. Once, you see, it's sin. In the fall, sin gives, uh, gives the devil legal right to us. Uh, whoever sins, the Bible says, is a slave to sin. You once were owned and operated by a different Lord, praise God. But when Jesus moves in, devil moves out, it now belongs to him, praise God. One of the best things you can do, you've you got to walk with this awareness that you are owned and bought with a price, and God Almighty, God Almighty, I'm talking God Almighty resides within you. The big God, that one. He resides within you. He takes residence. You're his temple. You're his house. And that makes all the difference in the world, praise God. He sets up shop there. He owns it. One of the best things you can do is when you're under affliction, you know, the enemy shoots arrows at you and, and, and all this stuff and gets strongholds, the Bible says, and gets you to think of the old man and living the old life and all that other kind of stuff and depression and anxiety, whatever. Is one of the best things you can do is just turn your mind towards what is true and say out loud. Or if you're praying for somebody, you pray out loud. Enemy! Get out of here because this is kingdom property. This, no trespassing. No trespassing. I belong to Jesus Christ. There's a no trespassing zone. This brain is kingdom property. This heart is kingdom property. This body is kingdom property. And everything that does not agree with that, every attitude and every sentiment and every entity that does not belong to that, that is not part of the kingdom, in Jesus' name you must go, praise God, because this person is kingdom property, praise God. And there's no trespassing signs all over the place. You just wave those signs. Know who you are. Know that the seal is there. God Almighty dwells within you. Secondly, here we begin to find the identification that the Lord was always seeking for. In fact, we don't begin to find it. We find it all over the place. This is the place where God, this is the kind of identification God wants. What kind of, how intimate do you want to become? Well, basically, I want to be inside of you. Um, I want to live my life through you. Uh, that's the kind of intimacy. Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, I pray that I may be in them and they in me. The Lord is looking for interpenetration here. He's looking for his life weaving with our life, his character becoming our character. He is looking for the ultimate, ultimate intimacy, and it happens when he moves in. Let's talk about the blessing. Here's the thing that's neat, is that God takes the blessing of walking in a covenantal marriage relationship with him, and the blessing is basically everything, who he is, all he owns, riches and glory, read Ephesians 1, it's all over the place. But he says, like a, like a dad who can't wait to, till Christmas to give a present, he says, I want to give it up front. Uh, you know, why wait? Um, and so he takes a down payment. It's an earnest. It's the first fruits. And he says, here, have a little taste of what's coming. That's the Holy Spirit. Takes that, and it's a down payment. It's, it's, it's the earnest, the first fruits. And what blows me away is that the first fruits, the down payment, is himself. <laughs> uh, that's quite a down payment, don't you think? Uh, you know, if this is the first fruits, man, <laughs> what's coming? So he, he takes up residency. He acts as though we'd already fulfilled the covenant, and he gives, it us, it gives that to us ahead of time while we're yet covenant breakers. And here's the beautiful thing. It's that very act of taking the reward and giving it to us before we deserved it that begins to change us and empowers us to keep the covenant. See that? He acts as though we kept it, gives it to us up front, and that's what empowers us to walk in it. And what I want to leave us with here this morning is this. Believers, you have within you, and I have within me, the Bible calls it rivers of living water. Uh, out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. It is God himself. 
You have within you. Forget for a moment. Trust that what God says is true. You have within you. Just know this. Okay, we can't do anything with it right now, but just know this. Walk with this. Think about it throughout the week. Whatever else your experience may be, whatever else your self-talk may be, whatever else your relationships may be, whatever else your struggles may be, you got to know this. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Amen? you got to know this, that God's Holy Spirit resides within you. you got to know this, that you have God within you right now. Forget your experience. Trust God. That's the, that's the essence of covenant. You've got to know that the spirit of power is within you. The spirit of love, God's love, is within you. Maybe you have been an unloving person all of your life, but you don't need to tomorrow be an unloving person because God wants to love through you. He's made you a new creature who is loving. It's predestined that you'll be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And all of that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit within you. God's infinite love is within you. Maybe you've always been an anxious person, but you've got to know this. What's true about you is not your experience. What's true about you is that God, the God of infinite peace, resides within you. And you can have an infinite river of, of uh, flowing peace coming out of you. God's joy is within you. Maybe you've always been a depressed person. That's how you see yourself. Your mom was depressed. Your grandma was depressed. Your great-great-great-granddaddy was depressed. Your family line's always been depressed. Cancel that, will you? And start knowing who you are in Christ Jesus, not what your last name is. Your last name is, 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 is I belong to God. That's your last name. Because nothing else, no other name really matters. And start anew. You've got within you. Believe it, trust it, think it, live it, walk it, feel it. And even if you don't feel it, think it. That insight, you're a new creature. What's new about you is the Holy Spirit. The power of the Spirit of God resides within you. Last word is let. Let. When the Bible talks about change, it uses the word let. Let God reign in your mortal body yield to the Holy Spirit. You see, our keeping covenant is not a matter of our valiant self-effort. Today I'm really going to do it. No. It's a matter of dying. The problem, see, it's not a matter of your will so much as it is this, getting your will out of the way. You've got a volcano inside, but you, the ego you, the old self you, corks it. It's time to go uncork that and watch the rivers of living water start to gush her out like Mount St. Helens. What a mix of metaphors that one was. Uh, but you know what I'm talking about. And it's a matter of yielding, constantly dying to the self. The echo of the old self keeps coming back. It keeps coming back. But you know what? You put it off. You, 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 you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Know who you are. Walk in the seal, which is to say walk in the Holy Spirit and die to self. Let the Holy Spirit reign in you. Let him love through you. Let his peace be there. Yield to the power that is within you. It's limitless. It's your down payment. It's your birthright. Capitalize on it. I want us to stand here. I'm going to close in prayer. And as I do, if you want to, as I'm praying, come forward, either because there's a cork in your life and the river isn't flowing, or maybe this morning you need to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never really done that. Could I ask the prayer team to come forward? Abraham, are you here? Uh, and and uh, pray with people who, who might come forward. And just uh, let's close in, the, in this prayer. Father, Father in heaven, uh, you just are amazing. Uh, when you want a relationship, you really want a relationship. And uh, you stop at nothing to get it. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, the power of your spirit, the power of your infinite love living inside of us. Our prayer, Lord, this morning, for every person here, God, I pray two things. One, that whoever doesn't know you has never confessed you as Lord, has never made a covenant with you. I pray that this morning they'd come forward here right now and do that. And then, Lord, I'm praying that for all who are in covenant relationship with you, that you would remind them, remind me who we are and whose we are and 
who lives within us. Lord, we are not, we confess, good covenant keepers in and of ourselves, but you're a great covenant keeper and you live in us. Keep covenant through us, Lord God. Make us the people you want us to be. Help us to live our life in spirit and in power. In Jesus' name.